Welcome to our August 2023 Empower Women podcast episode, The Five Pillars of Responsible Decluttering. This month, we were joined by Stephanie Safarian, an author and the host of the Sustainable Minimalist podcast. Stephanie outlined the five pillars of responsible decluttering, including measuring true value and prioritizing quality over quantity. She also talked about where and how to donate the trickiest of household items. Enjoy. Stephanie is here today uh, and we'll speak a little bit about um, decluttering and five pillars of responsible decluttering, which I think is awesome because a lot of people tend to just get frustrated and throw things away, but I think we're going to learn some good tips. Um, She also hosts Sustainable Minimalist Podcast and has written a book. With that, I'm going to kick it over to Stephanie. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, That was a great introduction. First, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about me and how I got here. Again, I used to be a teacher. I didn't always talk about decluttering and sustainable minimalism. I'm hoping that by the end of today, the objective is to get you all on board with responsible decluttering, sustainable minimalism, as opposed to spark joy minimalism. Um, I should say I did not always be doing this. I Before having children, I was an unconscious consumer. I would walk the mall for new outfits to look good. When I went to my teaching job, I bought what I could afford. I didn't think about the consequences of consumerism, but all that changed when I had my daughter nine years ago. Um, My husband and I, and then my daughter, we were living in a little apartment in Boston and with the baby came all the baby stuff. I didn't have much free time, but the free time that I did have was spent organizing the stuff, cleaning the stuff, finding places to store the stuff, putting away the stuff. And I thought to myself, this is bonkers. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Let's become a minimalist. Minimalist was, minimalism was really popular or becoming popular at that time. So I joined all the minimalism groups on Facebook, here, there, everywhere. But I just couldn't get on board with sending trash bags to the curb, trash bags full of perfectly decent working stuff that I spent money on that um, perhaps I shouldn't have, right? So I I decided, you know, minimalism, like let's just throw out everything that doesn't spark joy. That didn't sit right with me. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I'm an environmentalist. Maybe I'm a zero waster. Maybe my, the lifestyle that speaks to me is create as little trash as possible. So then I joined all those groups and those groups, you know, I got an education for sure, but they were quite militant and I didn't feel as though I could be 100% zero waste 100% of the time. And so, you know, I just thought to myself, well, what am I, if I'm not a minimalist, if I'm not a zero waster and what am I? And so I came up with what I am, (laughs) what I'm hoping to get you all on board with today, which is I'm a sustainable minimalist. So let's just get on board with consumerism, right? We live in America where we are enticed every single darn day to buy, buy, buy the key to happiness. It doesn't, by the way, the key to happiness does not lie in stuff. We've perhaps already learned that, but the advertisements, the influencers, the this, the that, their marketing stuff is the solution to all our woes. Well, if you're here, you've likely faced at least one or more of the consequences of overconsumption. 
And the first one, of course, is an increased mental load. Mental load is the term used to describe all the balls that we need to juggle to keep our lives afloat. And of course, heavy mental loads are linked to feelings of distress and emptiness and lowered life satisfaction. I should say here too that the person in a partnership who identifies as a female, perhaps the mother, does historically tend to have a heavier mental load than their partner. Um, another consequence of consumerism is, of course, financial stress. Overbuying, financial stress, and stress, anxiety, they all go hand in hand. And then this is where sustainable minimalism is different from any old other minimalism that's out there, right? Sustainable minimalists are concerned about the environmental implications of the stuff that we bring into our house. Every single item, every trinket, every tchotchke, every piece of clothing, everything, it has a before life and an afterlife. An item's before life, when we're considering an item's before life, we're considering about the non-renewable resources and the renewable resources that go into creating the thing. The non-renewable resources being the fossil fuels, primarily. When they're gone, they're gone. And if you're a parent or a grandparent and you're concerned about whether this planet's going to be inhabitable for your progeny, this is something to consider. I should, I should mention the renewable resources too. So renewable resources are resources that should theoretically be replenished. Water. Let's just take water for an example. But we are over-consuming as a race at such rampant levels that even the renewable resources are not able to renew fast enough to keep up with our taking. And then um, an item's afterlife too, and this is really what we were discussing when we talk about decluttering, is what happens to this thing when we decide we no longer want it, when it no longer sparks joy? Well, if it's heading to the landfill, it is going to eventually break down and decompose. Items that break down in a landfill where there's no oxygen, no sunlight, these items, whatever it is, release methane, which is a very powerful greenhouse gas that is about 10 times more potent than carbon dioxide, and leachate, which is a toxic mm, sludge, is the best word I can describe it, that leaches leachate leaches <laughs> far beyond the landfill. So sustainable minimalism, don't get scared, but it is not just decluttering our homes so that we have the pretty crate and barrel magazine-like home. It's not getting rid of stuff and putting our perfectly decent stuff in the trash can, waiting for the garbage man or woman to come and cart it away. It's not out of sight, out of mind decluttering. It's not decluttering and then going back out and buying perfectly new stuff to fill up the empty spaces that you now have. That's not what sustainable minimalism is. It's not about sparking joy. That's spark. You will feel joy, but it's not about sparking joy as the main reason for decluttering. And it's really not focusing on stuff at all. I often hear in the minimalism world, like, oh, you should only have three sets of sheets per bed or only eight mugs. It's not about the stuff. It's actually taking the emphasis off the stuff so that we can focus on what really matters. The stuff isn't it. So on my platform, I have a book, I have a podcast, I coach 
well, I shouldn't say I coach, I would say I help people who are downsizing and decluttering and want to do it in an eco-friendly way. I do that on a small scale. All right. So why bother? If you have a home, perhaps maybe you're a parent and the stuff is squeezing you out of your home. Perhaps maybe you're looking to downsize. You have a lifetime's worth of stuff that you've been storing in your home. Um, yeah, perhaps you're 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 going to a smaller place. You have to get rid of the stuff. Well, why choose sustainable minimalism? Why declutter responsibly instead of just again hiring that dumpster? Well, you're going to get all the benefits regardless, right? You're going to have the reduced stress, anxiety, family tension, the more free time. But here's the key, right? When you declutter responsibly, even though it takes more time, even though it's likely more stressful, when you declutter responsibly, you have a smaller environmental impact. You tread lighter on the planet. 90% of climate scientists agree human behavior contributes to global warming and climate change. Well, let me just say, um, it's easy to see that uh, global warming and climate change is here, right? Every news, not every, but I would say 85% of my morning NPR listening has something to do with crazy weather happening somewhere in the world. And it's here. It's here. And so when people ask me, you know, what can I do where should I focus my efforts? I'm concerned about the news headlines. I'm concerned about what climate scientists say. I always say zero in on the big four. These are the four things that are going to make the biggest dent in your environmental impact. Like, yes, bringing your coffee cup to Starbucks, that's an eco-friendly action. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to do all that much. So focus on your diet. Plant-based diets are way less carbon intensive than meat-based. Focus on how you get around, how much you drive, how much you fly, what type of car you're driving, how you heat and cool your home. And then finally, where what we're talking about today is your purchasing habits. What are you buying? Why are you buying it? Where are you buying it from? Do you need it? All right. So let's get into those five pillars. So you want to declutter your home. Maybe you're downsizing. Maybe you're just sick of all the junk. What do you do? Well, pillar number one, it is to start simple, slow, and easy. I have people write to me all the time and they say, my basement is out of control or my attic, I haven't been up there in years or, oh, I can't park in my garage anymore because I have too much stuff. Do not start in those places. Do not start in the most difficult places. If you wanted to start lifting weights, you would not go to the gym and pick up the 50 pounders, right? Or at least I wouldn't. That's a recipe for <laughs> disaster. You're going to start simple, slow, and easy. You're going to flex your literal muscles and build into bigger challenges, right? It's the exact same with decluttering. You're not going to start in the garage or the attic or the stressful place or the area where you have all your mom's stuff because she passed away a couple of years ago. And, you know, that was an emotional time. So you just absorbed all of her things and you stuck it in the corner. You're not going to start there. You're going to start simple, slow, and easy. In my book, I have a 52-week decluttering plan. So every week you tackle just one thing. And by the end of 52 weeks, the job is done. That's slow, right? Or perhaps as of right now, my community, we're doing a month-long decluttering challenge. So on August 1st, 
we decluttered one thing. Today, I believe, is August 8th. So today we were doing eight things, right? Perhaps you start that way, or perhaps you start in a non-emotional small space. So I always suggest either A, the linen closet, or B, the um, bathroom. These places, I suggest, because there's nothing sentimental in these areas, right? We're not going to get caught up with heavy emotions in the linen closet or the medicine cabinet. Um, the job is relatively small so that you're not going to be spending hours on a task. Um, you're going to get it done, and then here's the benefit, you're gonna feel really darn good and your efforts are going to snowball as you can, as you continuously, again, flex that muscle so that when you get to the garage or your mother, deceased mother's items, you're ready to tackle the challenge, okay? So start simple, slow, and easy. Even if you're thinking to yourself, the medicine cabinet, you know, it's fine. Start there anyway. Pillar number two. All right, now we're getting into it. Pillar number two is to choose quality over quantity. This is when you're buying stuff, but specifically for the, the context of our conversation today, this is when you're decluttering. So when you are comparing two things or five things and you're saying, geez, I don't need five spatulas, let's say. I don't need five, maybe I need two, maybe three max. When you're paring down your items, Choose quality items over quantity. So think about a museum for a minute. A museum's purpose is to highlight the best and the greatest throughout history. If you were a museum curator, you would display the best of the best. You're a curator of your home, not a collector, okay? So your job is to keep the best of the best. Now, what is the best of the best? Well, that is subjective. What's the best to one? Uh, what's best to one person may not be best to everyone. But in general, quality items are made of solid wood or silicone or metal, not particle board or plastic or wicker or bamboo. Wicker or bamboo, I'll, I'll say specifically bamboo, it's a renewable material. So in that regard, it's eco-friendly. However, it is quite weak. So it may not stand the test of time. Same with wicker. Wicker is um, fungus susceptible, I guess is the best way to put it. When you're looking at your fiber items, your clothes, your blankets, your sheets, your pillows, et cetera, look for items, look to keep items that are made with natural fibers over synthetic. So natural fibers are fibers that occur naturally in the natural world, cotton, linen, um, hemp, if you have hemp items. Synthetics are the polyesters, the nylons, the rayons, the items that are essentially made from plastic. And by the way, those plastics, like on our clothes, you have, you know, synthetic clothes and they're popular. These items are made with plastics and the plastics shed off our clothing when we're wearing them, when we wash them, and they contribute to microplastic pollution, which is outside the scope of today's conversation, but something to keep in mind. And then when you're Choosing quality over quantity as you declutter. Remember that anything that's broken or ripped or stained is no longer considered quality. So if it's broken, ripped, or stained, that should be like number one or number two in your list of things that you're heading out. And we'll discuss what to do with these items in a little bit. Pillar three, measure true value. Now I'm gonna say right off the bat, this is where people tend to get confused and lost. So I'm gonna spend some time on this. Every item 
that you have in your home has a fundamental purpose for existence. I'm sitting on a chair right now. A chair's fundamental purpose is to be sat on. Its secondary purpose may be to look nice in your living room, right? But its fundamental purpose is to be sat on. It, a coffee mug is meant to hold liquid. A microwave is meant to heat food. If you have possessions in your home that are not regularly being used for their fundamental purpose, they're not living up to their real value. They're almost, no, they're not almost, they are valueless. And so I see a lot, my own mother, she loves to store items that she believes has value in her basement. They're not being used. She just doesn't want to get rid of them because she thinks they're valuable for whatever reason. Usually it has to come down to money. And so remember the sunk cost fallacy that states that, you know, once the money is spent, the money is gone. And sure, you could sell it secondhand and maybe recoup a bit of what you paid for it. But you're not, you're very likely, unless it's a one of a kind heirloom item, you're very likely not going to get what you or somebody in your life paid for it. The money's gone. And so let's, let's talk about a microwave, for example. Let's say you have a microwave in your basement. The microwave's purpose, heat food. If you are storing that microwave in your basement and it's not heating food, what you're doing is you're preventing this item from, from, from doing what it's meant to do, right? And so it's valueless. But if you gave that microwave or sold it or donated it to somebody who needs a microwave, you'd be restoring its potential and purpose. You'd also theoretically be preventing or be, yeah, be preventing that person who receives this microwave from going out and purchasing a new microwave and all the non-renewable resources that came along with the creation of the new microwave. You're keeping a new microwave out of the waste stream at that point. And then taking this microwave example a step further, let's not forget that we live in a time of rampant product turnover. So electronics and appliances are particularly susceptible. Everything's susceptible. Trends, you know, change. Clothes, you know, anything changes quite quickly. But electronics and appliances in particular, if we're holding on to that microwave for five or 10 years for our grandson who's going to have their first apartment in five or 10 years and you're keeping it for him, you know, ask yourself, is your is your grandson going to want your five or 10 year old microwave in five or 10 years when he can go to Walmart and buy a new one, a new and updated and sleeker one and smaller one for 50 bucks. So these are things that we should really consider. A lot of us want to hold on to items for one day or for somebody someday. But if you have stuff that's working and you're not using it the way it was meant to be used, I suggest you consider either A, using it, or B, passing it on right now. So that's pillar three, measure true value. Moving on to pillar four. All right, so you're going through your home. You're decluttering it. You're making hard decisions. You're getting tripped up, particularly on the sentimental items. I always suggest you ask yourself some tough 
questions when the going does indeed get tough and it will, it will get tough. Um, would you keep it if you downsize? So let's say you have no plans of downsizing. I currently in the moment have no plans of downsizing. I now have two kids I live in the burbs. However, when I declutter, I mentioned I'm in the middle of a decluttering challenge with my community right now. I ask myself this question, would you keep it if I was to downsize? Because this is a question that really distinguishes wants from needs, right? It, I think a lot of the decluttering issues that many of us have, it comes down to the fact that we have these homes and we have the space. So why not just fill the space, right? But the problem with just filling the space and forgetting about it is that it might be easier to do that in the short term, but in the long term, we're really just creating a series of delayed decisions. And so asking yourself, would I keep it if I was to downsize tomorrow? That's a great way of um, enticing you to make those difficult decisions now so that you're not kicking that can down the road and doing it in 10 or 20 years. So I would say, would you keep it if you downsized is my number one question that I personally ask, for my, ask myself. It works really well for me. But if that question doesn't work well for you when the going gets tough, ask yourself this, would you replace this item if it broke? So when my garlic press, so you know the garlic press, you stick a clove of garlic in, you press it, and then it, it comes out all nice and minced. My garlic press snapped and it no longer worked. And I thought to myself, ugh, that's annoying. And then I minced with a knife. I went on with my night. I went on with cooking dinner. I mean, it, it was annoying, but I didn't stop my life and go out and buy a new one. I didn't even buy a new one in the following month, right? But when my cell phone broke, I smashed the screen. I cleared my calendar. I stopped my life. And I went to the store and I had it replaced within, what, two or three hours. And that says something about my own level of technology addiction. And we'll just leave that there. However, my point here is that there are some items that are nice to have. And there are some items that we simply must have working at all times. And so would you replace this vase if it broke? Would you replace this, I don't know, garlic press, whatever the item is? Would you drop your life and replace it if it was to break right now? That's another question you can ask yourself. And then finally, what is the worst that could happen if you let it go? So we live in a time where we are all, we're not just our homes, but our communities, our geographical regions, they're overflowing with stuff. There has been way too much stuff made, manufactured, created, and there's way too much stuff that people are trying, people just like all of you and me, we're trying to declutter it and we can't find places to give it to because again, there's too much stuff. And so let's use that to our advantage, right? What's the worst that could happen if you let that book go? For example, I had a book, it was a very specific book. Um, it was actually the one thing, like everybody always asks me, have you ever decluttered something and then regretted it later? And the answer is yes. There was this one book. I'm a fairly militant runner. And so it was a running book about how to get faster. It was very detailed. I guess I decluttered that book. I don't know how it happened, but I was bummed. 
And then I remembered there's an amazing thing called a library. And I requested the book and I had that book back in my hot little hands in about three days, right? I just requested it from the library. Um, same thing with most things, right? Because we live in a world with an abundance of stuff, if you let something go, you can probably acquire it again with very little effort and with very little time. The exceptions to this rule are, of course, those one-of-a-kind items, those sentimental items, those heirloom items. But if your item's not one of a kind, sentimental or heirloom, um, I think, and I know from experience that if you let something go and you end up needing it again later, you can get it and you can get it quite easily. Now, pillar five is the pillar where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time. Um, this is where we're actively getting rid of items but we're not renting a dumpster. We're not filling our trash cans and sticking it on the curb. Now I say that with the caveat that some items are indeed trash. And I want us all to not feel bad about throwing out trash. Trash is trash. However, for the stuff that's not trash, we're gonna do our darndest to pass it along. Um, I always suggest that people mentally prepare themselves to spend double the time that they think the job will take. So let me explain this. Let's say you're ready to tackle your garage and your garage, you think you know what it looks like. You know how much work there is to be done. You think that you can fully declutter, clean out your garage in one weekend, so one full Saturday and one full Sunday. I suggest you double that. So instead of it taking, instead of the task taking one weekend, it's gonna take you two weekends to not only clean it out, but also find places and send or drop off things and contact places first to make sure they want the stuff. It's That's gonna take two weekends, so four days, double the time you think the task is going to take. You're going to be finding homes for your unwanted possessions whenever possible. Again, even though responsible decluttering takes extra time, effort, energy. Yes, it is certainly easier, quicker to throw your stuff in the trash can. However, there is there's a really great lesson to be learned when you're spending the extra time, effort, and energy finding places to give your items to. Um, you're learning in real time, what wants versus needs, and you're learning in real time, you're feeling in real time, the consequences of overconsumption, of accepting things into your house when you don't need them, of storing things when you no longer need them, of buying things and spending your hard-earned money on things that perhaps you need, you didn't fully, you didn't need, or you didn't need for a long time, or you shouldn't have bought. So you're learning something as you're spending extra time, effort, and energy. Now, the question I always get is, and I'm sure the chat is going to be filled with these questions, is, well, what do I do with this? Who wants this? Who do I give this to? We're going to get into that. But tenant number one of removing of not but not tossing is you want to try your darndest to keep your unwanted items in your own community first. So let's say you have a oboe. I don't know, it just came to my mind, an oboe in your basement. You don't want your oboe. Maybe your daughter played the oboe for like five minutes and then you just put the oboe in the garage or the basement and now you don't know what to do with it. 
yes, there are national nonprofits that will take your oboe. <laughs> However, we do not want to ship this gigantic instrument across the country if somebody within your own community wants your oboe first, right? If we're talking about climate change, global warming, carbon emissions, let's reduce the carbon emissions associated with shipping this oboe to California by keeping the oboe within our community, if possible, if somebody wants it. So where do you give your stuff? Again, keep items within your community whenever possible and go down this list. Does somebody you know want the item? Okay, now this comes with a caveat, a big one, which is if they don't want your item, you're not gonna give it to them, okay? You have to ask first and you have to respect their answer. There are people in my life who are trying to declutter their own homes that are filled with decades of delayed decisions. And it's certainly easiest for them to give me and my family these items. However, that's just, again, kicking the can down to me to deal with. And so I do suggest you ask your children, ask your grandchildren, ask your neighbor if they want your oboe or whatever it is. I definitely suggest you could, because if they do want your oboe, you're, you know, preventing them from spending their own money on this oboe, right? However, if they say, no thanks, mom, no thanks, grandpa, I just don't have a use or space for this oboe right now, um, you got to respect that decision or you got to respect that answer, right? So let's say your daughter says, no, she doesn't want the oboe. Where do you go next? Well, if we're keeping items within our community, I suggest next step is if you're not buying, if you're not selling it, if you're selling it, that's a whole nother story. And we'll get to that in a minute, but check and see if you have a buy nothing group near you. There's the website. You type the website in, you click um, find a chapter and buy nothing is in my opinion, a declutterer's best friend. Um, there's a Washington Post article that was written in February about buy nothing. So basically it's free to join. Usually they're on Facebook, I believe, not all, but um, you just take a picture of the item you're trying to get rid of. I have a mug here, so I'll take a picture of my mug. You upload it to this free group and you say, does anybody want this mug? And if you're lucky, you'll get multiple people willing to come to your house or come to the location that you've decided on, the public parking lot, the whatever, wherever you want to do it, and take this mug off your hands. It also works in the reverse. So if you are looking for a queen bed frame, and <laughs> that's not just an example, that's actually something that's happening in my life right now. We need my house, my house needs a new queen bed frame. Well, instead of going out and purchasing one and spending extra money on a queen bed frame, uh, because again, let's remember pillar two, quality over quantity, a queen bed frame in solid wood, not particle board, is going to be a pretty penny. Um, why wouldn't I just go to my, my buy nothing project group and say, does anybody have a queen bed frame they're unloading? And sure enough, multiple people said, yep. Here, here's one. Do you want this one? So I just go pick it up and done. I spent $0 and I acquired what I needed. So check and see if you have a buy nothing group. You might not have a quote unquote buy nothing group. My town, I live in Sudbury. We have a curb alert group. It's called curb alert, but it's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, so, okay. So you don't have a buy nothing group. 
you don't have a curb alert, you can check out nextdoor.com. You can list things for free on Craigslist. You could also try and sell on Craigslist. You can always sell. I always suggest selling items to people who have a really hard time with the loss of the value. Like my mother, she doesn't like to give things away because she thinks I paid good hard money for this. It's worth something. And so I say, if that's if that's a barrier to you decluttering, then absolutely sell your stuff. But just know you're very likely not going to get what you paid. And it's going to take extra time, effort, energy, and perhaps stress. So if you're not up for that extra time, effort, energy, stress, perhaps you might want to give it away for free, but that's up to you. Don't forget a good old yard sale. I mean, heck, yard sales are the best. Craigslist is another place to sell. You could sell to your local thrift store. And again, my favorite place for selling, because I'm on Facebook, is Facebook Marketplace. I have a lot of success there, but those are just some options. And then finally, we're going to go back to the, the donating. When we're talking again about keeping items within our communities, but we're not in the business. As sustainable minimalists, we are not in the business of dropping stuff off at doorsteps after hours and driving away. We're not making our stuff somebody else's problem. So if you have something, so a great example would be, um, I have some like ratty tatty towels. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe them. They're not in donatable condition. So I wouldn't give them, let's say to Goodwill because they're not in good, if, if they're not in good enough condition for me to keep, I'm not going to be giving them to somebody else to use for as a towel, right? Um, they're ratty and they're tatty, ratty tatty towels. Uh, however, animal shelters are always looking for ratty tatty linens and sheets and towels for their animal sheltering purposes. I'm not just, even though I know my animal shelter is happy to take my ratty tatty towels because I've dropped off there before, even though I know that, I'm still not gonna drop my towels off at their doorstep and drive away, keel out of there. I'm not gonna do that because again, these towels are my problem, not the shelters. And perhaps they have an influx and perhaps they're just simply not taking them right now. So we're always calling first and we're always respecting their answers. All right, so you've gone through all these things, you've exhausted your community. Nobody wants this special item or items that you have. If no local option exists, that's when, and that's only when it's time to expand your geographical parameters. So that's when Google, I wrote Ecosia here because Ecosia is an eco-friendly search engine with much better um, privacy controls than Google's and they plant a tree with every search, I believe. That might be wrong. They plant trees. I don't know if it's with every search, but maybe you change your, your search engine to Ecosia anyways. That's when you get on your favorite search engine and you, you Google away. Um, nonprofits that take oboes, let's say, okay? Don't give away items that are in less than stellar condition. Um, let's go back to my sheets or towels example, right? If they're not good enough for you to use for their utility, then don't assume that another human being wants to use them for their utility, right? Perhaps you're upcycling those sheets or towels. Towels make great rags. Towels make great, sheets make great um, liners for your trunk, right? I have a dog and 
she goes in mud all the time. Perhaps I'd put one of those fitted sheets in my trunk and use it for a different purpose, upcycling it, right? And then finally, remember too, remember that some items are indeed trash and that is okay. Let's release ourselves of the guilt of throwing away trash um, because that guilt isn't serving us. So if you have trash in your home, be okay with throwing out trash. Okay, so you decluttered your home. Congratulations, good work, that was hard. Pat yourself on your back. But then remember that decluttering your home is just step one on a much larger journey. You can apply that concept of less beyond the rooms in your home, beyond the numbers of items. You can incorporate less into all areas of your life, like buying and using less plastic. You're gonna send fewer bags to the landfills each week. Let's say goodbye to that single-use disposable packaging as best we can. Or if, if, if we can't say 100% goodbye, Let's say I'm taking a step back from you, plastic. Perhaps you minimize your health and beauty products to the, only the essentials. So you're having less exposure to those harmful chemicals and dare I even say toxins that are in so many of our beauty and personal care products. You'll also have the smaller environmental footprint because again, when you buy less stuff, that's a powerful way to tread lighter on the planet. Okay, um, so... Okay, there's going to come a time, right, where you need to buy something, where you need to acquire something, I should say. What do you do then? Well, it's quite simple. First of all, you're not going to buy what you don't need. And for the stuff you do need, you're not going to buy junk. So perhaps you go into your buy nothing group and you acquire without buying. Perhaps you go to a thrift store and buy, but buy something secondhand and give it a new lease on life, right? Perhaps instead of going to amazon.com for all your household needs, per perhaps you go to a local business and keep your money in your own community, right? And also when we're keeping our money within our own communities, you're strengthening your community's resilience as we enter the climate change era. So something to keep in mind. And perhaps we shift our spending mindset, right? So we have been trained from birth and I'm using the word trained deliberately here. We have been trained to shop till we drop and look for the cheapest item, haven't we? I mean, look at the dollar store. <laughs> it exists for those two reasons exactly, right? Instead of trying to seek out the cheapest item all the time, and I should say here too, with the caveat that if we if finances are tight and price is the only consideration that we can make, like that you do you, you do your best. If you're on a tight budget and you have to shop for the cheapest, then there is no shame in that. But for those of us who have a little bit of wiggle room in our budgets, perhaps instead of always seeking the cheapest item, perhaps instead we ask ourselves, is this too cheap? Because if something seems too good to be true, it seems too cheap, um, that's a really big signal that someone or something got the bad end of a deal. Perhaps workers weren't paid living wages, perhaps um, toxic chemicals or polluted water was dumped into waterways somewhere on this globe. I was in Target the other day and um, I was going through the kids section. They have $6 leggings, $6 pants, $6 for a pair of pants. Is that too cheap? <laughs> Do we think that the cotton 
that was grown to be woven into fibers to create the pants by a human being and then shipped to my Target store. Do we think all that happened in less than $6? I don't think so. I think $6 is too cheap. So maybe we get in our habit. Maybe we get in the habit of asking ourselves, is this item not priced correctly? I see one question in the chat. When you declutter, do you move stuff from one place to another as you're sorting? I would say this depends on the size of the job. Um, you absolutely may. <laughs> like if you're doing your basement, you're ready to tackle your basement and you have no room because your basement's so packed and you need to move stuff or you need to make piles. I would say yes. I would say um, if you're moving stuff and it's a multiple day job and you have stuff now in your living area, make sure that you're putting an end date on it because again, the job can get hard. And if you run out of steam, you could very likely upend your home as you're moving stuff here, there, and everywhere, and you never go back to finishing the job. So just make sure you go back to finish the job. What about like how long, if you're trying to sell a piece of furniture, like how long do you wait? Is it like a month? Like if you haven't sold it in a month, you're like, okay, I got to donate this. Like what's the timeline? So I think that depends for everybody, right? Um, it depends on how much you think that sofa's worth. And by the way, if it's a sofa, let's say, um, what you think it's worth may not be what the market says it's worth. That's just something to keep in mind. But it really comes down to like how much you're willing to let it go for, how much time, effort, energy you're willing to put into the sale of it, how quickly you need it gone. I mean, if you're selling your house and you have to be out by Tuesday, if it's not come by Tuesday, you're going to have to put it on your buy nothing group on Monday. Right. <laughs> so I think it comes down to everybody's personal preference. I keep talking about my mom, but my mom would be totally happy keeping that sofa until it's sold for a high price. And she's happy to keep it forever if it never gets the price she thinks it's worth. So it depends on the person, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of moms, how do you get, you know, your parents to start this process? So when sadly they pass, you're not dealing with a house full of stuff that you're trying to go through? So that's a great question. <laughs> I have found in my own life with my mother and my in-laws that, and I think this is totally fine. It's their homes. They're going to do what they want. I would love it if they took care of their stuff so that it doesn't fall on my shoulders, but I can't force them. What I can work on with them is expressing my wishes for what they, first of all, buy for my children and me and what they try and declutter onto me. So I I always suggest, you know, people are in charge of their own homes. They can do what they want in their own homes, but when it comes to them giving stuff or trying to put stuff on me, that's when I can put up my boundaries. And that's a whole nother topic. We could talk about that for another, another hour. Um, so I'll leave it there. I was just curious. Um, for example, my daughter said, I would love you to save certain things. I would love to have one box of things to, to have letters, um, artwork, maybe um, that kind of thing. So I started making up a box <laughs> and I find that through time, there seems to be more and more things that I want to add to it. And it's very hard to make that choice. I don't want to go over this one box. Any suggestions? Yeah, I would say um, you let the container be your guide. So you've chosen the box, 
instead of adding another box or making up a bigger box, you've chosen the box. So within the box, you have to put in the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And and you, again, you have to be that curator instead of the collector. If it's artwork, let's say, I mean, there are there are creative ways to add artwork into this box. Perhaps you make like a Shutterfly book of the artwork or of the photos. That'll take up much less room in the box than, I don't know, 12 school years worth of papers. But I would just say you can make an amazing memorabilia box for your daughter um, with the, within the confines of that boundary. Just make sure you stick to the boundary. Your daughter mm -hmm. will love it regardless. She's not going to think about the shoes from when she was five that you didn't include. She's not going to think mm -hmm. of that. She's going to think about all the great stuff mm -hmm. and all the thought and time that you did put into the box. Thank you. My only kind of comment question, I don't know how to best phrase this, is I think something that probably everyone on this screen struggles with is the is all of those, you know, the fashion, the textiles, the clothing, the bedding, the sheets, like we all have it. And if it's not donatable and the pet shelter doesn't want it, um, you know, are there, are you seeing a movement, Stephanie, of companies stepping in, or maybe they even already exist of where you can donate all of this and they do repurpose it? And if so, how do you go about finding those organizations and getting the stuff to them? It's, you know, we're not, I, I don't even think we're allowed to put it in the, the trash anymore. So yeah, um, your question there is multifaceted. If you have a Goodwill near you, I always suggest Goodwill for the ripped, ta tattered stuff. You can put it all in a special container bag and just make sure you mark it saying like, this is for textile recycling and they will sell it to textile recyclers. That said, not all textile recycling boxes, et cetera, are created equal. Um, the, the latest thing that fast fashion brands are doing is they have boxes in their stores and say, hey, donate your stuff and get a 10% off coupon to buy more stuff. Like that's just blatant greenwashing. There mm -hmm. are investigative reports coming out left and right, Zara, um, H&M. They're just taking the clothes in their bin that they're collecting and they're dumping it. In, in particular, there is a literal clothing mountain in Ghana. Like it takes 20 minutes to the hike, to hike to the top of it, all of our discarded fast fashion. So these brands are doing this under the guise of, oh, you're doing a good thing, you're recycling it, just so you can they can get you into the store and give you a coupon and you can buy more. So I'll say Goodwill is number one. Um, some communities have those like textile bin recycling things. Those are dependent on the company, whether they're good or bad. You have to like find out what the name is and then Google it. Some are better than others. A lot of these textiles now are being used to in like stuffed animals or pillows or like stuffing. And so it's just finding, I guess it's just finding the right place to give it. Anything you want to say before we close, Stephanie? I had a great time. Happy decluttering. Thank you all so much. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to our past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website empower-women.com. We also invite you to join us on September 12th for our next Empower Women event, Navigating Senior Living, What Are My Options? Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 
Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.